you may actually let's say standing for the reading of scripture up down up down you're like this isn't the 745 service what are we doing our reading this morning is from first corinthians chapter 13 paul writes if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love i'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, but we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith. Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This passage, 1 Corinthians 13, was the first sermon I ever preached. It was in 2006. I was 21 years old at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Agora Hills, California. I was the very, very part-time worship leader there. Uh, this is the church that I came to faith in. This is the church that taught my family and myself about what it means to follow Jesus. And the church um, was in a beautiful season of growth, tons of young families coming in. Um, and uh, God started to do something. The leadership, a lot of the leaders were being called to new, to new churches to serve. Our sole pastor had received a call to guess where? Texas. He was the first in the Texas. He, he was the first one. 2006. And uh, he had just left and my family who made up the majority of the worship team, they were getting ready to move back east in New Hampshire. And I was getting ready to move from Agora Hills, California, down south to Orange County to the to the uh, best Concordia, Concordia Irvine, and um, shots fired. And, and I, was, I was going to study, my original major was theological studies, pre-seminary. I ended up with a music degree. And, um, and the elders knew I was leaving, and they looked around, they were like, no, no one's here to preach. Do you want to preach on your last Sunday? It's like, sure. Talk about like trusting the next generation. Like, I'm like, all right, I've been a Christian for like three years. Cool. Let's see what happens. And they said, do you, do you know what you want to preach on? I'm like, I have no idea. And one of the elders said, how about first Corinthians 13? You know, that great love passage. He probably chose that because he's like, people know this. He can't mess it up too bad. Like, ah, let's see what happens. And, uh, they, they let me leave, uh, preach that Sunday and 
And I don't really remember what I said that Sunday. I don't think it was total heresy, maybe just a little bit. But um, you would think this text would have a special place in my heart. Like, oh, it's the first time I got to preach God's word. And actually, it's kind of the opposite. I don't disdain it. But for me, it's become one of those passages. It's kind of the coffee mug passage. Like, you, if you go to Hobby Lobby, you probably see it plastered on everything, right? Where do we, some of you are like, oh, I have that, like, in my laundry room, like, right there, right? Um, uh, where do we normally hear this passage? Weddings. Now, don't get heartburn if you're like, uh-oh, this was read at my wedding. Am I in trouble? A young couple's getting married. I'm like, is this at your uh, wedding? Uh, and you're going to be in your wedding? Like, yes. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. But we kind of make it, this is where it's read. Like, I don't know if I've ever actually heard a sermon preached on this. Normally, I hear it at weddings. And the, the problem with that is not the wedding itself, but if it, Paul's doing much more here with this text than talking to two young people in love about to enter into a covenant with one another. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, this is what we're looking at the last, couple, the last week, this week, and next week. Paul is addressing something that's happening in the church in Corinth, particularly when it comes to spiritual gifts. We looked at this last week, that these were actually gifts that belonged to the Spirit that had been entrusted to the church in Corinth, and they had made it all about them and raising people up and was causing division in the church. And Paul basically says, stop it. The reason you've been given these gifts is for the common good. These gifts belong to the Spirit, and they've been entrusted to you to steward for the common good, for the flourishing of the church, so that the church may be healthy and live out her missionary calling in the culture they were placed. And then he ends chapter 12 with this, and I will show you a still more excellent way And then what we've labeled chapter 13, he goes into what we call now the great love chapter. So I'm going to give you a roadmap. I don't normally do this, but this is where we're going. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Verses 1 through 3, Paul's talking about the necessity of Christian love. And 4 through 7, the middle section is the character of Christian love. And he ends with the permanence of Christian love. I say Christian love. Don't worry, I'm not going to get up here on the soapbox. I'm sure you've heard from pulpits like, the culture has really downplayed love. I love pizza and my wife and Jesus. And all three are very true. Very true. I love pizza. I love my wife and I love Jesus. Depends on the time of the day which one's at the top sometimes. Just being, right now, pizza's looking pretty good, right? <clears throat> I'm not doing that, but, but what we're going to be looking at is what makes this shaped by the scriptures and by the Christian tradition. So the necessity of Christian love is where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbals. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's passages you read at times like, what is he talking about? And there's other ones where I just want to go, see, just do that. Paul's making it very clear. If the Corinthians and our motivation is not rooted out of love, the gifts we've been given, the way we live our faith out, if it's not motivated and empowered by love, it is completely pointless. Pointless is a, is a clanging symbol. Do we have any sleeping babies in here right now? Okay, we do. Okay, so... 
I, I didn't think this through all the way until the last service. So you can see I have these huge symbols up here. And at 745 service, I clang them, and I think a couple people may have had heart attacks. I'm not, and then last service, there was a sleeping baby that I had just baptized. I'm like, I'm not dumb. I'm not doing this right now. I do not need that mama after me. So I'm not going to cling these together because there's a sleeping baby. But just imagine the noise these things make. I had fun walking around the office this week, <laughs> sneaking up on staff members. <clears throat> I, I, Cheryl's no longer with us. Lord rest her soul. No, just kidding. <laughs> and Danner just looked at me like this. Typical Danner. And, uh, but, but you guys get the point. If I cling that together really, really loud, it would not do good for anybody in this place. One commentator note, makes this note. A loveless tongue speaker is no better than a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal. Not melodious, but monotonous and annoying to the ear. The things we're called to do, the gifts we're given, if they're not carried out in love... They cease to do what they were created for. They cease to do why they were given to us. Our motivation has to come from a place of love. But what does that love look like, right? Paul goes on the character of Christian love, and he says this, Love is patient and kind. We have to do a little nerding out here. The word here for patient can be translated as long-suffering. Imagine that. If I'm officiating a wedding, I read to the newly, the couple of our married, like, love is long-suffering. They were like, oh, this is great. We should have picked a new pastor, right? But this word here, long-suffering, is important because in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the name that, uh, that God gives himself in the Old Testament, he uses long-suffering 12 times to characterize himself in relationship to his people Israel. That continually, as Israel is rebellious, as Israel is hard-hearted, as Israel is flat-out sinful, he is is long-suffering, he is patient, he is kind with them. A commentator translates uh, long-suffering as a love that can wait. That God defines himself as a God who can wait, that pursues his people, that does not expect things to happen like that right away. And there's another connection we need to make here between 1 Corinthians, this list in 12, and he talks about again in 13, to Galatians 5. Last week we looked at that these are the gifts that belong to the Spirit. They are things that that God gives to his church. We don't muster them up. And then Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit. They aren't Christian virtues that you and I just try to live into. They're actually given to us as gifts as we live faithfully in this world. And I I point that out because we have to understand that um, this is why I get kind of nervous if this text is kind of the main focal point of a sermon for a wedding because um, it's really easy for those two lovebirds, like they're just so excited for that moment and they're like, I'm going to love you patiently for the rest of my life. You have no idea, honey. But they, like, they've been married for three minutes and they go, oh, this is a lot harder. <laughs> take marriage, take romantic relationship out of it. Living in community with any other human being, it's very difficult to live and love in this kind of way. Because if we start with it's something we have to do, we're setting ourselves up for failure. But what Paul is saying in both of those letters, actually, no, these are things that God births in his church. 
And we have to start there. If we put the one before the other, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're going to burn ourselves out. That actually, this is the love that we receive in Christ. In Christ, we receive a love that does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, all, uh, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We have to start, this is the love we first receive in Christ. John writes, we love because he first loved us. All the love that, that, that we receive in Christ, then, is called, then we are called to reflect it or let it overflow through us to the people around us, to the world around us. We have to get that order correct. And normally the sermons, like, or we stop reading the text at this, at chapter 7. But then in verse 8, Paul starts saying things, and you're like, uh, you always get um, told as a preacher, like, never mix metaphors. I'm like, have you read Paul? Have you read Jesus? They mix metaphors all the time. They would not pass a preaching course. But he goes on, and he writes, he starts speaking about the permanence of the Christian love. And, and he, he reads, uh, we read, love never ends as for prophecies. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But then, the, uh, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up child childish ways for now we see in a mirror dimly lit but then face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i have been fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love what is paul doing here See, what Paul is doing, the Corinthians were kind of stuck in the moment. They were, they were kind of obsessing over these spiritual gifts and, and, and kind of just in the here and now. What Paul is doing, he's lifting their gaze from themselves and their current circumstances, and he's pointing them to something bigger. You see, the hope of the Christian is not to die and just go be with Jesus. The hope of the Christian is the return of Jesus, the bodily resurrection, when he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, and he makes all things new. And Paul is saying, when that day comes, all of these things that the Spirit has gifted you, that you've actually been misusing and abusing, they're going to cease to exist. They are all going to pass away. The tongues, the prophecies, uh, all of these things that you are doing for the wrong reasons are going to cease to exist. That one day we will see the Lord in all his glory. And he ends with the Christian trinity of, of virtues that Paul talks about often. Faith, hope, and love. But he says the only thing that, the greatest of these love, the only thing that will remain is love. And that's because if our hope is, is the resurrection, when Christ returns, hope is fulfilled. The faith we receive in our baptisms that enables us to, to, to hold on to this hope. We will see Jesus face to face. We will no longer need faith. We will be in the very presence of Jesus. But all that will remain is his love for his church, for his people. 
Now, it could be easy to hear something like this, that Paul was saying like, hey, stop all this stuff, Corinthians, and just sit on your bottoms in your holy huddle and just wait for Jesus to return and don't do anything. Actually, that's not what Paul's doing at all. Actually, Paul is focusing their gaze off of themselves to the, to the coming day when, when the Lord returns so that he can refocus their mission and their calling in the place they were at that very time. And the same is for us also. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, first we have to realize, like, God's kingdom comes with or without us. He doesn't need you to usher in his kingdom. But how does God often uh, show up in this world? Through us through his church, through his people. So when we pray for, the, for God's kingdom to come um, on earth as it is in heaven, we are, we are saying, Holy Spirit, help us partner with you to reflect this love into the world you are sending us so people may see Jesus' hands and feet in action in this world. Jesus, as he is getting ready to leave his disciples and go to the cross, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Sounds Christian cliche, but it's all about love. That's the end game. <clears throat> this is St. Paul Lutheran Church in Agora Hills, California. Someone last service asked if the blue or the cross is, if that's the color of the carpet. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, <clears throat> I took this picture uh, this summer. I went home. I had my 20-year high school reunion, and um, I got nostalgic driving around. Notice, this is July, maybe August, and the sky is overcast, and it was like 65 degrees. Oh, Lord, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> why have you forsaken me? Right? And um, I drove up to the building, and... Uh, the sign out on the main road is uh, kind of crooked. As I drove up, there's a large hill behind it. And this time of the year in California, um, everything was green and plush. But that hill, all the vegetation was dying and kind of just looking really not good. In the courtyard, um, when my family was there, um, my sister's 13 years younger than me, so her and all her little friends, they had put in this big, beautiful, gorgeous playground that my sister and her friends grew up playing on, and she's still dear friends with many of those people today. And, and uh, over the course of the last 20 years, that playground is splintered and falling apart, and I won't let my son go near it. The grounds that used to be beautiful and green that were kept up by volunteers is now just really just dirt. And it makes me think that they probably don't have a bunch of young families coming through their doors anymore or enough volunteers to keep up the property. And, and I'm not saying that this is just, I'm not judging the church at all. I'm not saying that church is dying, just my observation. I, I know the church, that Jesus is still active in that church, but I sat there. I was a bit, I was sad. I mean, I got baptized at 17 years old in that building. I felt the call into ministry in that building. I made some lifelong friends in that building. And as we're sitting there, like I see it passing and fading away. But as I was sitting there, I felt the kindness of God just kind of draw my attention. I was focusing on the wrong thing. Because as I was sitting there, just names and faces, Bob, Cindy, 
Dave, Mark, Jim, Tony. These people that embrace my family as we walk in there, walked in there not knowing Jesus, and, and they knew who Jesus was, and they shared Jesus with us over the course of a decade, and, and so many young families, and many of them, I'm going home to California for Thanksgiving, and mo- many of those families that were part of that church are going to be around my parents' Thanksgiving dinner, who now follow Jesus because of what Jesus did through the people that made up St. Paul. You see, the, their building may, it will eventually pass away. It's California. It's just going to fall into the ocean, right? <clears throat> but the way they loved us and my family and countless other families, that love remains. That love will literally ripple throughout eternity. Bethany, our beautiful new lobby is going to fade away. The 60 years plus however many more the Lord has in store of us of of ministry, of of programming, of, of sermons, of small groups, of children's ministry, of choirs and bands. As good as they all are, they will pass and fade away. The LCMS will pass and fade away. But the one thing that will remain is the love that has been given to us that we share with others. So my prayer for us, Bethany, is that the way we love one another forms and shapes how we love the world. So not that we sound like clanging cymbals or a bashing gong, but our love is a beautiful melody that makes the people around us perk up and listen. Not that it's us saving people or doing anything like that, but that God is using us to get people's attention that he loves them and he cares for them. So may we not be monotonous, but a beautiful melody to the world around us. God, I thank you for the scriptures, and I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the saints of St. Paul. I pray that you're with them as they gather around word and sacrament this morning. Be with Pastor Matt there. Lord, I thank you for the saints who have gone before me and my generation that, that you called to plant Bethany and to, to faithfully love one another. As I hear the stories over the years of families doing life together, I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we know all the, the things we do, the programs we run, the buildings we pay for, they will all fade away, but all that will remain is, is love. So Holy Spirit, inspire us, encourage us, motivate us to reflect the love that you graciously give us day in and day out. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.